On today's show, we have a guest, Ali Torben. She is the author of Chart Spark, a new book about harnessing your creativity in data communication. She's the senior data literacy advocate at Data Literacy and an independent information designer. And she has more than 15 years of experience solving data challenges for government agencies, research institutes, and corporate clients. She co-founded the Learning Community Elevate, where she's mentored over 100 budding data viz designers. Some of you may already be familiar with Ali because she has a popular podcast called The Data Viz Today. I'm actually a subscriber of the show, and this show actually earned her the Impactful Community Leader Award from the Data Viz Society, so congrats on that. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Also, I in, until I read your book, I also had no idea that you have a geospatial background, and I also have my degrees in geography and learned GIS. Uh, I feel like a lot of DataViz people were introduced to DataViz through maps, because <laughs> right? everyone loves maps. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you today about your new book. You said your book is written for data professionals who want to use more creativity in their work and generate fresh ideas. What do you think is a common misunderstanding with data professionals when it comes to creativity and their work? Yeah, this is something that I know personally about because I come from, like you said, a mapping back background, a math background, and a data background. So that's, I entered the field just like purely data, no kind of artistic abilities whatsoever. And I think a lot of us data people think, okay, creativity equals artistic. And it's like, oh, I'm not artistic, therefore I'm not creative. And so first of all, creativity does not equal artistry. I mean, it can, and but it doesn't completely mean that if you aren't an artist, then you're not creative. So I think creativity is just being able to generate or remix ideas into something that's new and useful. So it's not a talent that you have or you don't have. You don't have to just like wait around to be inspired. You don't have to collect a ton of inspiration in order for you to have these sparks of inspiration in order to be creative. You can have processes that help you be more creative. Ask yourself questions and prompts to generate new ideas from just like a small amount of information and see if it's useful. If it's not, maybe you take a break, maybe you get feedback and then you execute the idea a little bit more. So it's a process. <laughs> I think that's what a lot of people don't really realize, especially if you come from a data background, it's not something you have or not, and it doesn't equal artistry. I really like that you mentioned that there's prompts and ways to start getting creative ideas. It makes it easier for us to see creativity as something we can easily do rather than, as you mentioned, sometimes we have this notion that it's only for artists or creative people. We cannot be creative and we have to wait for like this like moment of inspiration, the aha moment to feel creative, but really there's like processes we can do. And that's what your book does. I love that it has so many different prompts and so many different ideas for how we can get creative in our work and in our daily work. And that's why I'm really excited to talk to you about this book, because I think this will be really helpful for every data professional who wants to do more creative work. I don't know if you're considering this, like those flash deck cards where oh. you, they can pull something out randomly. If you feel uninspired, someone can like 
pick out a card and use one of your prompts. That's a good idea. Yeah, I was also thinking maybe like a flow diagram kind of a thing mm. where it's like, are you feeling stuck or are you feeling uninspired or you know, like having like how are you feeling right now or like where are you in yeah. your project? And then it's like, okay, well if you're feeling stuck, then try this prompt. If you're uninspired, then try this prompt. So th- yeah, some sort of something extra would be a good idea. That or cards. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me know if you do any of that. I would love to share this with my audience. What's one piece of advice that you that someone has given you about creating data visualizations that you think about often? Yeah, the one big piece of advice actually came from a rejection that I had. Hmm. I guess this was about four or five, six, seven, seven years ago. <laughs> 2017. Is that seven years? Jeez. Yeah, 2017. <laughs> I was out of the workforce for about a year. And my second daughter was, I don't know, maybe six months old. So I wasn't working and I was trying to get back into paid work. So I wanted something flexible. And so I was pitching different news outlets, data stories to try to just make a little extra money and lean on the data data background that I had. So I pitched a story to a local magazine about the things that we were Googling more often than other cities. And she called me back immediately and she was so excited. She's like, yes, I love this pitch. Like, I want you to write this data story. And they were going to pay me $150 for this thing that I had worked like a week on. So I was like, wow. it's not like you're not going to get rich yeah. on that kind of thing. But <laughs> I was like, yes, I was so excited. Like I'm, you know, like when you're out of the workforce and you're not getting paid for anything and then you actually have the possibility of like just getting any kind of pocket money you're just like so excited so like my face was all flushed I was so excited talking to her and then like an hour later she called back and was like I'm so sorry but my editor is killing this story you know it's really interesting this data set is interesting but what would anybody do with it Mm. and it's just like those words just kind of (laughs) haunt me (laughs) just like what is anyone gonna do with this and so I was crushed and I was very disappointed but like she was right like what is anyone gonna do with this information about somebody like oh we google so-and-so more than other people like who cares right so that advice just made me realize that it's you don't have to be an Einstein level creative in order to make a meaningful graphic you need to make sure the data has some sort of angle where it's meaningful to the people reading it so you can create a bar chart that has a meaningful angle to people and it's the most amazing thing ever and goes like viral on the internet or like you know saves people time and money or saves lives even you know it doesn't have to be that you are creating these wild graphics in Adobe Illustrator that nobody else can do. You know, like it doesn't have to be like that. It's really the meaningfulness of the data and how you can change the perspective on that data and visualize it so it's meaningful to someone. So I actually also interviewed the associate associative associate associate creative director of the South China Morning Post, Marcelo Duhalde. And I asked him, they do really creative visualizations. And I asked him, do you think your readers are responding to these graphics because they're so creative and they like to see new things? And he was like, no, they're responding to the relevance of the topics that we cover. Mm. It's like, oh, and it's just like another like instance 
of someone telling me like it's the meaningfulness that really matters. So that's one of the prompts that I created because of this rejection and why it's so important. And one of the prompts I created in the book is called the CTR prompt, where I help the someone run their data set through this these series of questions to try to find that meaningful angle because you can like i said create a bar chart and people think it's like the most creative thing in the world just because you twisted it a little bit to be more meaningful to them so the ctr prompt is you start with an observation and then you identify the conflict like what's the conflict here why is this timely or what can you compare it to that's timely and what's the resolution? What is something, what's the next thing that somebody can do? And you can just iteratively ask yourself these questions over and over again. And then you can slowly find like that nugget of meaningfulness in this data set. Yeah, I, I love that. Because I, I think it makes it, it makes this process seem easier knowing that there's a way for us to gather that in, intel by talking to the people that we're creating these data visualizations for is like what is going to be meaningful and useful for them mm-hmm. and, and it reminded me when you were telling me this story because I know you mentioned the story in the book as well but it reminded me of I think it's in the New York Times they often do interactive visualizations where it could be about a topic like I don't know like about median housing prices but it allows you to input your information like either you know your age group or the location where you are so that you can get relevant information for you so the visualization does change to make it more relevant to the readers right. and I really appreciate that interactivity because it really shows that you know they're they're thinking about their readers and how how to make this topic relevant for them. Like, where do you fall in this graph? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's another reason why people like maps, because you can immediately see where am I on this map and how, how, or where am I compared to everything else? Mm. Where am I compared to the store that I want to go to? You know, (laughs) what is the income in my area and what's the income in the area next to it? Yeah. If, if you can make center the reader in some kind of way, I mean, we just are drawn like a moth to a flame (laughs) to those (laughs) kinds of things. Yeah. And, you know, we, we think of like the creative process as something that it has to be all from internal. It's an like, internal thing. Like it has to be some an, like some unique idea that comes that we only could have generated. But when you think when you start thinking about your readers and who your viewers will be for your data visualizations, sometimes that idea could be something that you may you personally may not be drawn to but you know your readers would be Mm. like what you said with the bar charts I don't know I work in this industry in the tech industry and sometimes I feel like people are tired of bar charts like data viz people they're tired of creating bar charts but a lot of our audience members they really resonate with bars it's it's easy data viz it's a you know I would say it's a universal data viz everyone recognizes a bar chart but some of them stress out about making like very unique visualizations that our readers may not actually understand or be able to interpret. It may look very cool, but they don't know the, how can they interpret? How is it relevant for them? So it's a good thing to keep in mind, your readers. If you were to, if you were to start your data viz journey again, would you do anything differently, if anything at all? Yeah, it's hard to think about doing things differently because you know how it's like even the mistakes like even that rejection that I had you know (laughs) leads you to something better so it's hard to redo things but I'd like to think about it like doubling down like what would I go back Mm. and like double down Mm. on because I got a lot of mileage out of definitely interviewing people on my podcast because that gave me so many perspectives it kind of feels like it 
put me on a fast track to mm. becoming a better data viz designer. So I did two things. I interviewed people and then early on I would take something specific that I learned from them and I applied it to a piece that I created that went along with the podcast. So I was both interviewing people and creating at the same time. And that gave me a portfolio that I could use to apply for data viz jobs like within six, nine months. So it was like really fast. And I learned, I learned a lot faster and I created a lot of work because when you start out in data viz, there are so many different types of data viz jobs that you can do. Like you could be a data journalist and be working on a team. And maybe you're the person that codes up the visualizations, or maybe you're the person that works in Adobe Illustrator and like cleans things up. Or maybe you're the person that's working in a data set, or maybe you're creating a dashboard at a company. Like there's just so many different things and you don't really know which parts do you like the most or which ones you're mm. better at? You know, like you don't know until you try something. So what, what is that quote? Like action creates clarity. Mm. So you need to create visualizations so you can see which parts you like to do the most <laughs> so that you can get a job that matches your, your talents and what you, what you like doing. So I think I would double down on creating. I think I would have created more things faster and just, and just tried a lot more uh, techniques and visualizations and not got so tied up in which tool I was learning. Mm. It is important to learn tools because, you know, if you have a job, you're trying to find a job, they're going to say you need Tableau or Power BI. Like they're going to say tools yeah. and you're going to have to have some basics in them. But knowing a process, knowing what your process is to create visualizations, practicing it, knowing which parts you like doing the most, I think is the most important thing you know, during a date of his journey and trying to find where you, where you fit in, in the date of his world. So I think I would double down on that faster and sooner <laughs> and more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I like that you mentioned you were trying to implement very specific advice from the folks you interviewed. And we're talking about people who have very different routines and techniques and processes. So you got to kind of sample like everyone's methods and try to see what works for you, what doesn't and, and tweak it maybe even I imagine. So but the best part is I think that what I tell also my students because I sometimes do tableau trainings is that a lot of people they just like to watch and like listen to me talk but I'm like, no, you have to actually like do it like create visuals practice because once you do hands on work you actually learn the tool and the processes a lot faster rather than just reading books and taking courses over and over again yeah yeah and I think it's easy to get stuck in that and I mean I'm, I'm guilty of this too just watching more and more tutorials but it's like at some point you have to actually do it right. <laughs> you have to see you have to you have to see which parts you understand which parts you don't understand so you can like loop back and mm -hmm. okay now I need a tutorial on this now I need a tutorial on that okay I got that you know you just don't know until you do it so don't get caught up in in reading and listening and watching, you actually have to push it forward at some point, especially in data viz, because people want to see your portfolio. It's like one yeah. of those weird data jobs where it's, yeah. it does kind of cross over to like the art artistic right. type jobs where it's like, where's your portfolio? What visualizations have you created? I want to be able mm. to see it. So you do have to start creating something at some point. Mm. Well, speaking about creating, I know that one of the challenges some of us face is having data viz blocks. And in your book, you talk about just starting on that project and just believing that along the way, you'll find a creative solution. Can you tell the listeners more about the strategy? Yeah. So this kind of came from thinking back on when I was learning how to drive. I was really terrified of merging onto the highway. <laughs> and 
my dad was like, you're just like looking at the cars. You need to look for the spaces, you know, and then just speed up and go towards the spaces. And it also reminded me of the Simon Sinek quote. He says that skiers don't think follow the trees or look for the trees. They say, follow the path. You know, they're not looking for trees. Otherwise they're going to hit a tree. They're looking for the path. So when you're looking for a creative idea, you're usually thinking like, oh, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I have creative block. I have creative block. And what does that, what does that do for you? It just makes you think about how you're blocked. (laughs) So you got to think about like ideas, ideas, ideas. So interviewing other people like Manuel Canales, he works at the Washington Post. He talks about when he starts a project, he just starts sketching like little doodles, things he likes. And then he just slowly starts filling the page with like these compositions. And I just love that idea. And so I tried that too. And at the same time, I was reading a book called Do Hard Things by Steve Magnus. And he talks about this interesting thing about how athletes, when they warm up by doing the things that like and they enjoy, it actually alters their hormonal state in a more positive way so they can perform better. And he was like, executives, artists, like anybody can do this too. So it's like, okay, I'll do this. So I started by like warming up and sketching like things that I liked. And it kind of gets you in this positive manner. So you're thinking, you know, just get you started. So you're not thinking, oh, I'm blocked. Oh, I'm blocked. You start out positive, doing things you like. And so this turned into another prompt in my book, which I call the idea isosceles. So the idea being that if you think, okay, if I draw this thing, this prompt, then I'm thinking of ideas, 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 not I'm blocked, I'm blocked, I'm blocked. So what you do is you take a piece of paper and you draw a big triangle. So the point is at the top and the base is at the bottom. And the top, you break it into three horizontal sections. And then the top section is where you're going to just doodle anything that you like. So we're doing that, like get you in a positive state thing. And I like to draw like little stars and little 3D cubes, like anything you like to draw there, just anything that makes you smile. And in, in the middle section, start thinking about what your constraints are. So what are the parts of your brief that you have to work with them. Like, okay, I have to show proportion over time. This has to be for a magazine article, like anything that you have in terms of constraints. And then at the bottom, the base of the triangle, start just putting out your obvious ideas. Like what, what are the obvious things you think of when you think of proportion or change over time? It's like, okay, I could do a pie chart proportion. I could do a stacked bar because I want to show proportion and change over time. And then just start letting that move into what if ideas. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what if I combined a bar chart and a pie chart? Or what if I put the stacked bar over a map of all the locations of these things that, you know, like just have to start brainstorming, like what if I combined a couple things or what if I did this? And then before you know it, you're going to have some sort of seed of an idea that you can try. So the point of the idea isosceles is that you're looking for the path and not the trees. (laughs) And it just gets you started brainstorming without feeling like you're stuck all the time. So we talked about data viz blocks, but I want to now touch on like something on the other side of the spectrum where you do have a lot of creative ideas. You're brimming with ideas, but sometimes our creative ideas for clients or employers can get rejected. And in your book, you mentioned a a story of when a client who wanted a cool looking viz, but also one that will go on a t-shirt, rejected what I thought was a very creative idea of yours. So could you share any advice on how we can maintain and nurture creativity in the face of rejection? while still delivering our work that meets the expectations of our employers or clients. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really easy to get precious about your ideas. And the story that I told in the book, you know, I, I created this really, it was a very creative idea, I thought, like a tessellated unit chart. And I thought it looked super cool. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you can create whatever you want for a personal project. But if it's for a client, they have needs and they have preferences. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to make those two things match. <laughs> and sometimes it's just not going to work out. Like you think that you achieved all of the goals of the project that they had, but maybe it just turns out they just don't like it. Or maybe their boss just doesn't like it. And that's just going to happen. And I don't think that you can put all of your eggs in one basket in terms of like, this is the creative idea. And this is going to make my entire career and this has to be published you know you can't just hold so tight to right. your ideas you know they say kill your darlings you know sometimes yeah. your most precious idea it's just not going to work out and i know that some artists and probably database designers nowadays have a folder of rejected client <laughs> ideas that are just amazing <laughs> that maybe you can use for another client like it just sometimes doesn't work out and when it comes down to it getting feedback on your creative ideas it's just part of the process mm -hmm. and it's not always going to match exactly what your what your client wants. So I think that all you can do is have a process to create really good work and occasionally there's going to be some magic thing where everything aligns and it was a creative idea. You love it. Your client loves it. Everybody on the client side loves it. It ends up getting published and all is right in the world. And you can put that in your portfolio, but that's just not going to happen all the time. And that's just a, that's an unfortunate reality. So I think understanding that and accepting that and it happens to the best of us, it makes you feel maybe a little bit less bad when it happens. Like it's not a personal personal yeah, thing exactly. wrong with you like mm -hmm. oh maybe I personally don't have as much value as I thought it's no you have value that's inherent <laughs> your ideas are subjective so maybe it works for you but it doesn't work for your client maybe it works for your client but you didn't really like it you know like that just happens and it's very very common that most of the situations are going to be like that like it didn't end up being exactly how you hoped it would be and every once in a while it hits where it's like everything was perfect so yeah just have a process to be good and then wait for those times where it's occasionally great and you'll be happy i would love to see your folder of rejected ideas because <laughs> that one you include the picture of, of that rejected idea and i think it was like the most unique looking thing i've seen in a while was, <laughs> thank you see amazing. they missed out <laughs> yeah they missed out <laughs> but I, now i'm imagining like other people's rejected ideas like what kind of gems that are yes. hidden in people's rejected folders mm -hmm. and you, you bring up a good point it's nothing personal we need to remember that it's just that the clients have very specific requirements and preferences and needs and that maybe we can use that creative idea for our own personal project or a future client so it's not something we need to throw away but something we can keep around or even if you feel comfortable sharing online your rejected idea so that it maybe can inspire others yeah for sure and it's it's just kind of a lesson too that having the process helps you create like a brief data mm -hmm. brief so I in the, at the end of the book in the appendix I include all of the questions that I ask my clients before we start on a project to make sure we are both pointing at the same target like okay mm -hmm. this is our goal this is our audience so that when they 
take my idea up the ladder to their boss, they can be clear also and be like, look, this was our specific goal and this is our specific audience. Do you think that achieves that specific goal for the specific audience? Because once it starts getting muddied up and they are trying to be the ones that present a creative idea to someone else, it becomes harder to evaluate the idea if they don't really know what the constraints were on the project. So being super clear up front what the constraints are and then enabling your client to be able to communicate that to their boss (laughs) that makes it more likely that your idea is going to make it over the over the finish line that's a really good point well thank you so much for coming on the show to talk to us about all these different ways that we can start sparking creativity with our data visualizations for those of you who are listening i highly recommend that you check out ali's book chart spark i'll link the book in the show notes so that you can order your copy today thank you again ali thank you so much hannah i really enjoyed being on the show today